How's it going, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Hunting Public Podcast. In this episode, we're going to be doing part two of our favorite rut stories. So if you missed part one, that was the last episode. And really, all we're doing is talking about our favorite stories from the rut, where we saw the best classic rut hunting action. If you like hearing these stories and you want to watch what we're talking about, we tried to focus on stories that we have video of. So on our new podcast channel, we have a version of this podcast, part one and part two as well, and you can watch them there. And that way you can see some examples of what we're talking about. In this episode, there's some footage of hunts that you've never seen on our channel before. So if that's something that interests you, you can check that out on the Hunting Public Podcast YouTube channel. And also, we have a whole bunch of merchandise on our website right now that we're really excited about. We have a whole bunch of hats and t-shirts that are new designs that we're really excited about, but we also just have a ton of hunting gear on there. We've got camo clothing, we've got milkweed pouches, stealth strip, which is that material that we use to dampen sounds on things like our climbing sticks or our camera gear, and sometimes even our bows. So if you have any interest in that, check out thehuntingpublic.com, and if you want to save some money, you can check the description of this podcast, and we have a little discount code down there for podcast listeners as well. You can also just use the code Zach as well, Z-A-C-H, and then I'll save you some money when you go to check out. Also, wanted to remind you guys that we are using the Go Wild app, which is something that we like because you can share hunting stories on there without being censored. You can share gear, share tactics and strategy. So one of the features on the Go Wild app is called Pursuits. And there you can dive deep into hunting topics and there's a ton of content to learn from. You can see questions from other members, such as Kyle who asked, as a new bow hunter, should I focus on in-depth knowledge of a couple pieces of public land or have a broader understanding of many areas. And then you can see all of the feedback that other members gave Kyle when he asks a question like that. So if you have questions yourself or you just wanna go help out other hunters, it's a pretty cool resource and it's almost like an online hunting camp. So check out the Go Wild app. You can find a link in the description of this podcast or you can visit downloadgowild.com to get started. All right, and finally, Thursday, I'm gonna be releasing another episode got a little bit behind and did not release this episode in the day that I normally do because Jake and I were making a bunch of stalks. So I'm releasing another episode on Thursday that'll be focused on the lockdown, which is starting to really happen. So thanks for tuning into this episode, guys. To start this one off, we're going to call Ben and Keith Robinson, and then we're going to give Hayden a call. I guess when you guys think of rut, the whole the whole idea of this is to talk about like awesome rut hunting stories. And I know that, you know, over the years we've had a lot of really awesome ones together, but I think Ben, the one that Keith and I were at least talking about that I think you should probably just lead with is the hunt that you had over at my family farm. <laughs> on the my farm piece of permission? That I allowed you to hunt on? No. Just kidding. It's a <laughs> my on my grandpa's property. I think that would be a good one to tell. Yeah, that was freaking sweet. Self filmed too. It was. It was impressive. I was thinking of that morning a couple mornings ago because I'm pretty sure. Is today the anniversary? I think Logan and I. No, never ninth. Ninth. Yeah, I'm not even trying. To ninth. Yeah, ninth <laughs> is your day. Yeah. The first was my other day, and it went by. So then, I'm, yeah, I just won't even try for a few days. <laughs> Um, 
Yeah, I think Logan and I hunted a couple days before I shot that buck in there together and we pulled a camera card and we were like, oh, there's a big one in here, which indicated to probably keep hunting in there. <laughs> so I think it was two days later that I ended up shooting him. Mm-hmm. But that morning I went in, kind of made a, you know, set up on the ground or I may have set in a stand that was like closer to the access and then moved into that spot once the wind got up. I think that might've helped the, the hunt in general mm-hmm. because I didn't like push into the actual pinch there until you know the wind got up mm-hmm. i've been kind of trying to do that this season too really keeping in mind of where you know you're making that move when the wind actually picks up yeah one thing that's important about the story though i think is that that buck had not been on the camera like you recognized yeah. that he was in there with the doe and had moved in where this property, I mean, for the majority of the time that we hunted it together, back when the, the vegetation was a little bit different on it, there was a lot more buck bedding on it. But at that point, it had started to, well, I guess it was kind of in the peak of the um, time where does lived on it full time, but m- the mature bucks didn't necessarily spend the whole season there. And then some years weren't even really showing up there at all. Um yeah, and I think that recognizing that that buck was in there locked down with the doe is also one of the most important moves of that hunt is uh, the fact that you just recognize that when, like you said, you pulled the camera with Logan, which for those listening is my brother, Logan. Um, and yeah, when you guys saw that, I remember you sent him pictures and being like, well, he's here, he's in here. And that was pretty exciting. And I remember I was actually in a stand with Warb that whole hunt, that whole day, and we're texting back and forth. But but anyway, proceed with your story. <laughs> I believe the numbers 180 were thrown around at one point. <laughs> <laughs> About 40 shy. Yeah, we're just like, he's the biggest thing ever. Because it's like, there's just like one picture of him just completely, you know, bright or uh washed out out, he's just like right in front of the camera (laughs) (laughs) yeah so the plan was to go in there and there's there's this point and it's facing north and then it drops there's a cliff on the west side of it that drops off the east side of it's pretty steep but not quite a cliff so there's a pretty good pinch on that point where deer can go up around that cliff line and you know the plan was just to go in there and try to be on that pinch with the wind that blew my scent out over the cliff so like i said i went in probably nine o'clock to that actual cliff stand which i don't think at that point we had hung i don't think if we had ever hunted yeah, there. i was just gonna ask you that i don't remember did you hang that when we when you went in there then for the yeah. first time yeah. yeah but doug had hunted there a lot yeah. in the past mm-hmm. i remember doug talking about that you talking about it I mean, we've hunted close to it but never in that actual 30 yard vicinity Made you know hung the stand and like at like nine o'clock I'd say and then about ten o'clock was looking down over that cliff and saw a big rack and I'm pretty sure I texted you probably right away because I was just freaking out I was like do I make a play on him do I you know keep my wind's going like kind of right at him too but it's just the thermals are up and it's just blowing hard enough that you know he doesn't see it was it was kind of sailing over him probably. I mean, with thermal pull and just the predominant wind, I'm sure it was just sailing and dissipating, and he just didn't care. Or, well, you know, couldn't get you. 60 feet above him or whatever on that cliff, I'm sure, yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, so I I kind of thought in my head, I'm like, do I go try to slip to the edge of the cliff and shoot him? It would have been a long shot. I don't 
probably would have just got skyline and it would have been all over <laughs> i tried that especially back then <laughs> <laughs> um, but it ended up just i think you were just like hang tight he'll come through you know like I don't, had you even got those texts all day i can't remember how it went down but i was sending you a bunch of texts i remember i think i was getting yeah. them because i remember Damn. i think the only part i missed was when you actually like got him the last thing i got was you know he came through or something and i he he was too far and then my phone died and i didn't get my phone turned back on so we made it all the way back to the midwest whitetail office and then that's when i was like oh yeah. shoot we got him <laughs> So I kind of forget the details of how the whole day went down, but I ended up seeing him a couple more times with the doe. Pushing other bucks off too, right? Yeah, yeah. I heard grunting and seen like a satellite buck come in and go running off. I'd seen him maybe a few times throughout the day. I think at one point they slipped around to that east side and came up into the food plot over there mm-hmm. too far. I don't remember exactly how it went down, but like they were hanging around that general area. And I think the, the reason... They ended up coming through, but just because I was on that like that funnel within the bedding area, mm-hmm. to where my wind was safe, and like you basically just hunting the doe at that point. He was just right on her tail, defending her the whole day. But yeah, that was. But I didn't end up shooting him until like five, right about five fifteen, I think. Mm-hmm. And that was after time changed, you know, forty five minutes, half hour till shooting light was over. It was like, you know, I waited the whole day and. I don't know if I was, I don't think I was prepared for an all day sit at all. (laughs) Mentally, definitely not. And I just remember being like completely shook by the day. Oh my God, it's over. And the starlings came in, did their thing, roosted. Little side note, that property has a bunch of pines and the starlings will come in by thousands and they'll roost in those pines. It becomes such a coffin that you cannot (laughs) hear or see anything. The deer definitely act skittish at that point. But as soon as they're done and they're roosted, there's like a half hour of movement right there before sun or after sunset before shooting lights over that was when the doe and the buck ended up making the move up around that cliff probably to come up under the food plot again or you know that oak edge in the evening but it was like basically the you know last half hour of light i look over and i saw a doe i was like it's a good sign and then i looked behind her and the buck was just coming up and he was right there like in my shooting lane already and it was i just you know panicked ended up getting drawn back I think I was seated on that one and then 15 yards shot him heard a crack didn't get much penetration we're shooting a much different arrow setup in broadhead at that point and then he jumped and ran and bailed over the hill and I thought about this hunt yesterday side note because then I heard a blow like not long after that I'm like gosh dang, there's there's no way I got him you know the doubt instantly because <laughs> I didn't I didn't hear him crash and I didn't see anything other than just hearing a deer blow. I was like, wow, I just shoved it in his shoulder and you know, he's just, what's going on? And yeah. And then dad came out and helped me track. And it was like, he went like 30 yards. It was a heart shot. But, um, I thought of that yesterday because Larry's buck was the same deal where it was like, we heard a blow right after Larry shot a buck yesterday in current day (laughs) and same deal where Heard the shot, heard the crash. We both heard a doe blowing, and he was like, uh, it doesn't sound good. Why are deer blowing? And I was like, I've actually heard that before. <laughs> the deer's blowing at a dead deer. Mm-hmm. And it sounded like a doe blow. And it was the same deal. It was a hard shot. It was an instant yeah. buck on the doe's trail right behind her. 
drop. And then all of a sudden the box is dead and the dev is just like, what is What's going, going on? on? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Guys, it's, what's going mm-hmm. on? So yeah, that I, that was a sweet hunt. That was, a, like you said, a classic example of, you know, just being in there when the buck's in there. Like mm-hmm. there's, there was probably going to be a week at most that that buck was in there. There was not enough does to keep him around for more than a couple weeks. And the same thing happened on that same farm i feel like maybe the year probably like two years after i remember a buck that looked super similar to that one you shot it's the same deal where like yeah it wasn't there all season and then it was november 6th or 7th and we're like here he is the same thing as julian buck and then like three days later on the camera it was like he wasn't there after that point tell him the tell him the backstory on the julian for those for those that would appreciate it that are listening <laughs> i think yeah, I think there were several bucks that year that were named after the Trailer Park Boys characters. Cyrus <laughs> <laughs> <You know, laughs> <Irish>. <laughs> The bubbles running around for sure. And then Ricky was the one that Yeah, Ricky, that was, Ricky the one that, was the one that I was just talking about. We called that one Ricky because we had had the other Trailer Park Boys guys. <laughs> I'm still rat. That I'm still rattling with Cyrus. Yeah, I, <laughs> I was gonna say we Cyrus sheds are those rattling antlers with the Luco tape on them. Yes, great yeah. rap. Oh yeah, I I'll be honest. I think about those every single season about this time of the year. I think that gum, I sure wish that I had those and not Ben and Keith. But hey, it's all good. I'll get my chance. I'll, I'll yeah, I get to use them on occasion. Um They work. They do work. They're really good ones. Rattled in that buck uh the old uh, horror story of the rattling sequence of Keith and I on the ridge that time. They rattled that one in. Pretty funny. See how many consecutive podcasts we can flash in the cutaway into that puck running up on us. Oh, yeah. It seems like it's been several in a row. Yeah, I mean, it is one of those things that I feel like you got to hammer home to everyone, myself mostly, but then everybody that watches listen, listens, it's like, hey, there's a hell of a lesson there. Like, just make sure you're paying attention to how long you're rattling. Make sure you listen. I mean, I've had it just given it a couple of seconds, but I don't know. That it's one that you can learn a lot from. But a couple of things about that hunt, Ben, before we get too far down the rabbit hole of mistakes made in the past here. A couple of things that were interesting in addition to that to me were um, the fact that that buck you know we didn't ever we never actually really ran trail cameras hardcore on that property i mean we had some old junky ones that my grandpa had bought back in the day but we never really had i think aside from maybe that year you had like one or two maybe newer ones for the time um and we never really had tons of like quote unquote history for a private land piece and these aren't big pieces but there's 80 acres to the south about a mile and my grandparents live on that piece and then the piece to the north which is where ben shot this buck is another 80 and i think the buck that ben shot now this is all guess and we don't have enough data to confirm this but it seemed like he was running around on the property to the south two years prior so in 2013 we thought we saw that buck to the south had a like a picture of him my dad and i saw him run across the road one time and run down through the field and go into the woods and that was it but we knew he existed and he had the same shape just like a wide short tined buck and then two years later 
this like super dandy shows up and he's got this dough same shape kind of had been gone for a couple of years seemed like the age class of this deer matched up with that so it was like here he had been gone and you know he's probably just to the west in a bigger track of timber but he he you know appeared to be just completely gone which at the time too our perspective of how much a deer will travel was incorrect like we thought oh if he's on this property he'll be there his whole life and he just certainly wasn't i mean that deer you know could have easily been i mean you know five miles around that whole area and then just happened to be in there and you took advantage of it and i think the biggest lesson there is take advantage of it if he shows up don't worry about your wind don't worry about i mean i shouldn't say don't worry about your wind you got to worry about your wind but don't worry about having like the perfect setup i guess is what i mean like if your access isn't perfect that's less important this time of the year than it was back on october 13th right like if he's got a hot dough in there he's letting his guard down a good bit take advantage of it and get in there and don't don't wait around for tomorrow or next weekend because by next weekend he's probably moved on and i think that yeah, it's just an awesome example of like taking advantage of the situation. And then uh, there was another thing that I was going to say about it. That that pinch, I guess this is what's cool, is we had kind of had a, a moment that off season where we were like, wait, you know, my dad, Doug, he's always talked about this spot, you know, and he missed that big buck there one time. Like he, he thought, I remember him telling me the story the day it happened. He hunted that pinch a lot back in the day. And he missed like what I think probably was a really big one based off of his, his frustration that day. But we had a moment where we were like, wait, Doug always used to hunt this. And then we kind of admitted to ourselves where it's like, Doug actually no, does know more than what we do. You know, we should probably just trust this spot. And then we got to <laughs> looking at it. And there was just an unbelievable pinch by this rock to the point where, I don't know. Tell me if you guys think differently, but it's almost like it pinches down to like the body size of us or a deer, right? It's like, yeah, it's like the size of a doorway. It's crazy. Yeah. What's that? <laughs> so 20 wide. Yeah. <laughs> 20 wide. Oh, that deer had to have been 21, 22, Ben. Oh, oh that's true. That's true. Um, the neighbor, I think hunts there now, right? Mm-hmm. Your third cousin or or whatever mm -hmm. twice removed he i think he saw a big one last year out of that state. yeah like a, the, the, a bigger yeah, one maybe it's definitely i moved in there on a hot dough. yeah it's definitely a killer spot and i just think that um when you look at that property that's kind of a focal point like everything has to go around that cliff it's just a straight up bluff like it's i don't know how many feet it drops mm -hmm. off there i mean at least 30 40 right yeah yeah probably is enough to stop a deer from going over it mm-hmm yeah. yeah pretty cool and I, I feel like that uh i guess one last thing that i was going to bring up too is the um fact that there was other indicators too that that buck was in there like if you take away the cell camera th the cell camera it wasn't a cell camera if you take away the the junky old trail camera that you were running <laughs> if you take away those pictures there was indicators like you saw the other little buck harassing him and then ultimately you saw him too but i also remember that day there was that younger buck that you guys saw back there quite a bit that was traveling around. And I remember you saw him cruising and he went right past you. And it's like those, 
when you look at a rut big picture, when you have a big buck locked down with the doe, you'll hear us talk about satellite bucks a lot. And satellite bucks <clears throat> can simply mean more bucks cruising around throughout the day. So if you're in an area and let's say you got a big open area, maybe a field even, and you can see the edge of a woods over there and there's a buck bouncing around the edge or maybe multiple younger bucks bouncing around the edge and they just have a demeanor about them like they're cruising or something's in the air. There's probably a good chance that there's a bigger one locked down with the doe in there. And this was November 9th, so not even the lockdown phase. You know, this is still the peak of what a lot of people call the seeking phase. But I mean, from October 25th until, you know, the end of the season, there's always a chance that there's a buck lockdown. So using those visual clues is very helpful, I think. And then I guess this, I, got, I said one last thing, but also the shot. That was a good example of us learning that forward and low is not bad. Like when you hit that buck, I remember that is one of the things I remember. I opened my phone and you had like sent me this whole string of messages, of course. Ah, man, I think I, sh I think I shoulder shot him. I don't think I got him. And then, you know, eventually it's like boom, 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 all these messages of like negative thoughts. And then you're just like, got him. And I'm like, oh, you know, holy shoot. <laughs> you know, that was a great example of us learning that you can hit a buck low and forward and it'd be better than hitting him, you know, low and back or, or, you know what I mean? Just back in general or center, or whatever. Like it was just, a, that was a good learning point. I think that was another important thing, but anyway, one more thing on that hunt. Go ahead, Ben. I would like to hear it actually. <laughs> I don't want to hear <laughs> something that I'm trying to figure, like think about right now. It's like, what is it? The third of November. Yeah. Yep. So similar thing to mom and dad's property here where we're at. A lot of does in there, a lot of small bucks throughout the year, but like the big ones move in. It's like they come up from deeper into the away from roads and things. It seems like they come up for a hot doe and they hang around for a few days and then they bounce to the next doe or they just bleed. But there's like there's sign that pops up at that time that you can't really differentiate like in postseason scouting when that sign was laid down. But like when you see that rub that's like this, it's just shredded and it's like that's last night. And I remember seeing that the day that he was in there that I shot him. Actually, when Logan and I were hunting in there, we were, you know, so he had just moved in and all of a sudden it's like, oh, there are way bigger rubs in here than mm -hmm. there were. Their scrapes are just trashed. And there's like, if I was looking at tracks at that point, there was big tracks. It's like that, that should be the sign, like even without a camera, it's like mm -hmm. somebody different six points down all the year. Just yeah. Moved in. yeah. So like as soon as you see that, it's like, keep hunting, keep your foot on the gas here because I like, that. Yeah. I like that, man. I really do. Cause I feel like I can look back on experiences that I've had in different States that I left that too. And it's like, ee. I remember one time, I think it might've been with you, Ben, maybe it was a Dylan. I can't remember, but we went into a spot and we got down in this deep Creek bottom and we found this giant scrape and all these little saplings were rubbed, but they were all rubbed like really tall up on the tree. And we proceeded to go somewhere else and hunt and I just look back on like that one and I'm like yeah you probably should have put a little bit of time into something like that because there probably was one in there locked down with the doe and we ultimately found mm -hmm. that 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 trip but like and that's why that's right there but I think that had we <laughs> had we just been 
more patient in that location, it would have been a good sign. I mean, there's just so many examples of that over the years, but you get to tricking yourself sometimes when you hunt an area all the time that you're like, oh, I'm going to go do the same old thing I've always done. But what's cool about that is you found the sign, you knew that there was a big one in there with the picture, and then you adjusted and got into the right spot and did something different to kill that buck. And it's just all around a cool story. And like one of my uh, favorite bucks to stare at on the wall. <laughs> Beautiful. Keith, you got any good stories, but yeah, I don't know if you've ever not. been hunting before with all the little experience you've got. Yeah. <laughs> Let me paint. <laughs> Actually, hold on. I got to pee real bad. Can you, can you, can you wait? Keith? Yeah. Um, so I guess the one that I that I had texted you about and is the one that the other one that you mentioned in your day on November first, um, twenty twenty, three years ago. Now, wow. Time will slip away. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was that year. I had shot a buck in early October and was just didn't have a tag and was just kind of like did a lot more just running around on park ground and stuff like that uh, around where I live at and just to like see bucks and stuff in like high quantities of deer moving around. And by, and by park, I guess for, for those that don't know exactly what you mean, just like areas that you can't hunt, but are like public yeah. access, like hiking areas and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. So there were like a few times in the like late part of, October where I was just taking my camera and running out and uh, just trying to see bucks doing cool stuff and still get the experience of that. And there there was a weekend I was running down to hunt with everybody and was going to film someone. And on my way driving to Ben's place, I just stopped at a spot, random spot. I'd never. You texted, you really texted me that day. You're like, is there anywhere that I should go? And I was like, man, yeah. we're probably never going to check that spot out unless it's something like what you're doing. Cause like, we're never going to just take the risk to go in there. And that's how, that's exactly how that went down. Uh huh. So I just parked down, parked on an access and went straight up this point. And kind of, I, there wasn't any like obvious trail or anything. I just went up this point and started walking. I was going to cover ground and we had a bunch of wind moving in the next day. We knew it was going to be like a good day to still hunt and cover ground. So I just wanted to like find a spot and find some sign maybe just to feel confident in the morning and just started working on this point pretty close to the road. And I think I started seeing a couple like rubs and stuff and just like seemed like a decent spot and uh, was working towards this saddle. Probably only had like an hour of left of light on that day. This was Halloween and like was working towards that saddle. And I looked up at one point and just saw like a pretty nice buck just working parallel with me right down the ridge, 60, 70 yards away, something like that. And, uh, I just got down by a tree and let him pass and smelled the thermals dropping down. I could smell him when he walked past me. He like went straight up through that saddle. And as soon as he went through there, I just backed out and got back, met with everyone was like, Oh, someone want to shoot a buck tomorrow? <laughs> Go right into the spot. Just getting like real cocky, <laughs> you know what you need. Yeah. Someday. Yeah. If you're, if you're the one that's got the uh, tag filled already, you might as well boost your buddy's confidence at that point. And you were doing that. Yeah. So we woke up the next morning. Someone's car was on fire in the parking lot. That's right. You remember that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> there, was a, there was a weird shortage on someone's lights, and then we walked outside, and there was a car with flame coming out of it. And that was just the cool part of that morning. And buddy Brad went out there and dumped a bunch of water on it. So Ben and I went into that same spot, and 
it was whipping wind right off the bat in the morning and we got out there kind of late like right at first light anyways just went right up the point and bumped a doe pretty quickly like as we were getting up to the level we wanted to be on and we were just gonna kind of just get right on the, the top of the slope and just work our way into the wind and just work towards that saddle where I'd seen the buck move through. I'd seen some big scrapes in that saddle too. So we just started working down that ridge and hopping from tree to tree. And I remember it just like feeling, it felt good. And it felt like we were making the right moves where it's just like, yeah, the wind is good. And like, it's, it just felt like every move we were making, we were getting to a tree and able to glass everything up in front of us. And it was like, it seems like we're going to see something pretty well before it sees us moving down this ridge. And uh, sure enough, just like, like we drew it up pretty much we were just working right down that ridge and ben looked up and saw the buck working right towards us he was like up on the top of the ridge and we were just right on that seam from where it started dropping he came up on the top of the ridge and ben shot him at 75 75 80 um yeah you just had a perfect release though everything was just perfect you knew at 75 yards but my 75 my 75 pin on. I remember seeing the arrow look like this close to a tree that you strung it past and put it right into the thing's armpit. It wasn't but, actually, uh, tw- it wasn't actually, yeah. for, for people listening to the audio version, <laughs> it was 20 or maybe even less, eh? About 20. Yeah, 20, 25. Yeah. <laughs> it was, a, it was yeah. a perfect shot. Smoked it. it a, yeah. 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 But yeah, he, we ended up finding him. It was nothing really more exciting about that, I guess. We just tracked him and found him and, uh, I guess the cool part of one of the cool parts of that one as well is that we got down to it and it was like, yeah, it's the same buck for sure, dude. It was like right in the same spot that we, that I had seen that buck the night before. And in the video, we're just like back and forth. Like, yeah, dude, wait, no, maybe, yeah, wait, yeah, it is. And then finally it was like, we pulled the pictures up and realized that it was, it was a very similar looking buck, but it was a different buck right in that same spot. And uh, I think that was just a testament of like the same thing you just said, where you see, find a hot spot where there's a buck and just put yourself right in that position when you have perfect conditions for it mm-hmm. and it worked out very well and that that, <clears throat> that ended up being a pinch too because that ridge was real broad and then where we ended up shooting was like the saddle between that those broad tops and the next like broad ridge tops and like there's that saddle we basically shot him coming up out of that saddle mm-hmm. yeah so it was like yeah. that was on that ridge line that was that pinch mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah we were just on the buck trail that went through that that was a, a pretty that was a dream i haven't really had a a like a november hunt uh condition wise like that for a while mm-hmm. like since then as far as just being able to creep through the timber with 25 mile an hour except for like today right now yeah oh yeah it's <laughs> actually windy here but too. it was like was, uh, but yeah that's my story <laughs> <laughs> I think that a couple of things that I would like to, you know, reiterate would be conditions. Recognizing that was great, and we've hit that enough now. But the other part of that that I like is doing something different. Again, just, you know, the fact that you had filled your tag and you were the one that was overly confident was not a bad thing because you went into a new area and had a clean slate, fresh mind. We didn't have any past experiences there that were you know fogging our judgment of what you know the right move in that area was you guys just went in and hunted it the way that felt natural and then like long I mean I 
a couple of years after that, reflecting on it really helped create the idea that we need to spend more time on the side hill. That's a really good example of hunting lower. And I don't necessarily want to say like we're hunting low. I'm just talking like putting the wind in your favor and then coming across the side hill. And if you want to learn a little bit more about that, um, the Indiana muzzleloader video from last year is where we kind of explained that theory a little bit more. And there's just been a handful of examples in big hilly timber, whether it be mountains or hills, whatever you want to call them, where you look back and you're like, oh man, that side hill really makes sense. Because if you can get the wind correct, coming in at that angle, you have so much more additional cover because you're never on the bottom and you're never on the top getting skylined. If you're on the bottom, they have a good chance of seeing you just because a lot of times the bottoms are open or they're laying a pie looking down and they just have the high ground on you. But if you're on the side hill, if you were to go to where that buck was and look back down at where you guys are, you know, he's really obvious to see for you guys, but you guys would blend in so well. There's, I mean, you can tell he has no idea you guys are there. That buck died having no idea mm-hmm. what happened. And that's pretty sweet. Yeah. I mean, the fact that you guys, and it appears that you guys are just willy nilly walking through the woods and at times, I know you weren't, but there's some really cool clips that Keith took of Ben sliding up to a tree, popping up. And like you guys said, just glass and using your glass, even in the timber, pretty dang cool. And the fact that you guys, yeah. you know, took advantage of that situation and condition is yeah, pretty incredible. And I think that that's one of my favorite hunts to go back and watch as well, just because it was unique and maybe even a little uh life-threatening at times with that wind blowing the way it was but really worked out hey it was life it was life-threatening but for the deer not y'all pretty awesome well with that i guess you guys better get back to game planning for your hunt and i'm gonna try to get hayden on the line maybe greg i told everybody keith um in the intro that there's a chance that we just may not catch up with Greg on this part two either. So we, maybe he's getting an experience of his own. I I hope, I really do hope he is. He said, he sent me some pictures yesterday. He's in on them. Uh, so that's good. And then, uh, Jake and I are going to go back bow hunting again, headed out today. So we'll be bow hunting again tomorrow. And then, uh, what else is, what's that? I said, what state? Oh, I can't remember. (laughs) I guess, uh, yeah, thanks. Thank you all for your time. Thank you all for your stories. Good luck to you out there. Keep me updated because I'll probably just be, uh, you know, thinking about hunting while I'm driving. So keep me updated. Thank you. We're rolling. We got Hayden on the line in the warehouse, in-house, in-warehouse, THP Warehouse Headquarters. And I was just telling Hayden we're, we're packing to go on the bow hunt. We're also recording podcast segments, and we're also boiling a deer skull. So it's kind of a spread out uh, operation here at the Zach and Whitney home. But yeah, that's what our status is. You got Crystal back here making so much noise. Crystal. Yeah, she's packing some orders, getting (laughs) stuff shipped out. Awesome. Wave, Crystal. Give them a wave. (laughs) And we got Scout, our warehouse dog, on the couch taking a snooze. I heard that uh, Scout likes to rip up some boxes yesterday. Is that my Oh, she's, yeah, she's got, yeah, she hates boxes. <laughs> well, actually, probably loves them, but she 
it's pretty impressive how quick she can tear a box up. <laughs> so, what rut stories do you have for us today that you're excited about telling? Maybe you're not excited. Maybe you're just like, yeah, I got Zach, two. you're just, oh, I'm so tired of talking to you, dude. But. <laughs> no, we just started, so I'm not tired yet. <laughs> uh, I got two stories to talk about today. One One's back to my college days, and then uh, the other one's from last year, Keith and I's hunt together in Missouri. Mm. Those are the two that stuck out the most to me. There's the also the one from Jake and I last year, too, but I'm sure that's been talked about quite a bit so talk about some other stuff that happened around this time of year and years past and last year my hunt with keith was one of my most memorable ones on public land this first one i'll talk about was on private land and just talk about um how that all came to be but a couple cool ones i think that year i guess well the year before that but that was like my introduction to filming um because i i went to college at winona state and played on the baseball team there and um one of the strength and conditioning interns um his name's logan marham um he also is a big deer hunter and became friends with him through talking about deer hunting and whatnot and uh him and his his dad and their family um they have property in buffalo county which was right across the river from winona and pretty well-known deer hunting county and the the first time I ever got to hunt there, I was going up to northern Wisconsin to hunt with my dad and my uncle and just swung through there to check out their um, bunkhouse and kind of see the place. And when I was getting ready to leave, Logan's dad, Ted, just says to me, all right, don't shoot anything small and gave me the green light to go out and hunt there that night, which was pretty, yeah, pretty nice of them to allow me to, to hunt out there. Not anything I was expecting or asking for, but they invited me to, to hunt out there with them and um, continued to allow me back for the next couple of years that I was going to college out there. So super appreciative to them to let me in on their little slice of heaven they have in, in Buffalo County. But because I was hunting out there and everything I had experienced up to that point had been just Northern Wisconsin, big woods, see a deer over a weekend, you're doing pretty good. So it was a, a brand new experience for me. And I decided, well, if I got these limitations on the bucks, I'm going to, I can shoot, which I wouldn't even hesitate about up where I'm used to hunting. I might as well get a video camera and start filming some of this stuff. So that was the first time I had a, a video camera along with me and had some pretty cool experiences, but I think it was the second or third year out there that I eventually ended up harvesting my first mature buck. And, um, it was around this time of year. I think it was late, late October, uh, might've been in the beginning of November. So a little bit before this time, but right at the beginning of rut, seems like that October 26th and on is when I've seen like that first doe comes into heat and bucks are all over that, that first doe. And that was exactly what happened a couple of days before that. Actually, I was back at school and Logan was up there hunting and he had the biggest buck on the farm come by at 10 yards chip shot and he was drawn back on it when he went to release the arrow his bow blew up on him and obviously didn't get the deer and his arrow just kind of fell in front but his his bow blew up on him didn't end up shooting that deer but then the next night he ended up killing a really nice buck out of that same spot so i went up that night and helped him recover that buck um, and then hunted out there the, the following day and there was one other buck, there was one buck on the farm that Ted did not want getting shot, um, was a giant three-year-old um, with just massive brow tines, probably like 11, 12-inch brow tines. 
And of course that was the first deer that came by me that day <laughs> at 10 yards and just stood there following the doe, him and a couple other young bucks just came straight by me and got some good video of him coming by. And, uh, that was my first real experience with passing a, a deer like that. It was a tough thing to do, but I knew like they're gracious enough to let me hunt out there. I'm going to follow their rules and not shoot anything that they don't want getting shot, but it was awesome experience. And I was sitting in this spot, uh, they called it the, it's the strip ladder stand. There's this narrow strip of timber, um, and then two egg fields on each side that connects the main ridge system of the property. And then a really thick, like cedar patch of bedding and had that doe come by with that big three-year-old and a couple other young bucks. And then an hour later had a buck that I didn't recognize, um, but seemed like it was more of a mature buck than that three-year-old that came by later on discovered that it actually was another three-year-old but it was a uh, much older looking three-year-old and one that when i looked back at footage from the last year was actually one i had an encounter with um, the previous year but he came by and he was on a very similar trail to those other few bucks that are following that doe kind of just on that same scent trail but he got to like 35 40 yards and had a small window and ended up not taking the shot uh, it was just like real quick and there's some branches in the way and decided not to shoot. And I wasn't really sure if it was a shooter or not. And he went kind of into that patch of cedars. And then five minutes later, he came back out of that patch of cedars going right back the direction he came. And he circled around the back of the stand and ended up shooting them at like seven yards and watched them pile up 30 yards away. Logan was still there and came and helped me recover him and Ted. And then we got... He still had his buck from the day before, so got some pretty sweet pictures of him up on the top of the hill at the mm. property. But it was pretty pretty fun hunt, getting to pass a really big deer like that, and then having uh, an opportunity to take my first deer there was was pretty special. That's the first first mature buck I've ever killed, um, first deer I ever got shoulder mounted. Actually, the only deer I have shoulder mounted because that other one I shot in Minnesota is that packout mount. But yep. um, yeah, I got. I can show some pictures, or I could just text these to you later, whatever you think's best. But we'll do a little of both. Yeah, uh, I remember seeing yeah, so that. Yeah, so Logan's picture. on the right there. Yeah, and then mine's on the left there. So ended up being a three-year-old, but was like way thicker neck than that other one that came through, and uh, was was not one they were upset about me shooting. So that was good. <laughs> but super thankful to for Ted and Logan letting me see what. Uh, manage private land hunting is all about i think one thing that is a little misconception about the hunting public is that we're just specific to like public land but we're meant to represent the general public that hunts and we don't mm -hmm. have like poor perceptions towards people who hunt private land like if you have that opportunity that more power to you like, oh, that's yeah. it's they're all part of the general hunting public so yeah and we i was pretty fortunate to be able to experience that yeah we just talked about uh a story from uh, 2015 where Ben shot one on my grandpa's property and mm -hmm. yeah, same thing. It's like just because a lot of videos you see us hunting public land doesn't mean we don't have past experiences on private or that we won't do it again in the future. I mean, it's just, you know, every situation's different and hunting's hunting at the end of the day, you learn something every time I learned a lot. Yep. I learned a lot, uh, just observing deer, on uh bill winky's farm when i filmed him you know some great experience yeah. i got was just watching deer do their thing you know from a distance there'd be a lot of times there'd be bucks that 
you know, on a, in a public land situation or even a private land situation in which I, I was hunting, you know, there's bucks that, you know, I would be chasing and he wasn't, you know, targeting those deer and getting to observe them with those or, you know, just kind of asserting their dominance in a food plot or anything like that. I mean, while it may not be, um, something that I get to experience that exact situation on public land or even private land that I have permission on or whatever, it, it still teaches you a lot about deer. And I think that that was the value there. I mean, it's similar to even hunting public land in Iowa, right? Where it's like maybe public land in Iowa is a little bit better than most places, but you still get to experience deer and that's valuable. You know, I, I learned a lot about hunting deer. Yeah. You get to learn a Iowa. lot. Yeah. You learn a lot when you, when you see like higher deer density areas, you can really learn a lot about how they behave and put that to use in areas that have lower deer densities and be able to better predict, predict that. So it's definitely a good learning experience being around that stuff. Yeah. It's similar to what we were talking to Whitney about because Whitney's turkey hunted now for a couple of seasons and, uh, we've been in, um, Wisconsin doing a lot of permission, like knocking on door stuff and like the amount of reps that she's got in two seasons. I'm like, man, what we experience, like, you know, here, you know, in a couple or, you know, a handful of days of hunting, it's like some people may go like 10 years and not see that many turkeys, you know? So it's great experience to hunt good areas. And I don't think there's anything wrong with it. A good experience is good experience yeah. period. But anyway, back to the stories. This was also, this was the one I had to pass right before I shot that one. And that's when they got him? <laughs> they that's got him me. like following years or what? Yeah, he ended up shooting him the next year after that. Send me that one right now. Because I've seen the other ones, but I haven't seen that one. Right now. Send it right now. I need it. I need it to get motivated to pack up quickly and get going. Just know they're out there like this existing somewhere. Somewhere. Probably not where I'm going, but it's somewhere. Not. <laughs> so yeah that was that was that entire experience of just being able to hunt that farm and i mean he he does he outfits on that farm too uh so i got to meet a ton of people from all across the country that was like one of the first experiences obviously we get to meet a lot of people traveling from state to state but it was cool seeing that side of things just like meeting new people through hunting and, and sharing those experiences at camp like that was one of my favorite parts about hunting there is just all the different new friendships i made through hunting and obviously being able to experience that that level of uh, quality ground to hunt was pretty special so i'll always be thankful to them for allowing me to take part in that with them yeah that's sweet um you hear clicking i don't oh i bet it's my phone i bet You're that's frozen it now can you hear me you're, I, I hear you now. Okay. I think it might have been my phone being too close to the recorder. There's, you know, government gotcha. is transmitting waves and different frequencies <laughs> through here, and it just gets weird. <laughs> They're always watching. I know. I know. All right. What other stories you got? Yeah, so the, the next one I want to talk about was uh, my hunting experience in Missouri last year, and um, Keith ended up joining me on this hunt, but the day before – Keith got there. Um, I guess I'll take a step back. I had hunted this area since the beginning of season. I went out there with my dad and uh, ended up getting real close. There was uh, another hunter out there that killed a giant deer about 
hundred yards from where my dad and I were set up that night, hunted the same place. And there was one specific area that I had like seen from map scouting that just seemed like a pretty good hole that they'd start stacking up in once pressure started increasing. Um, but I was waiting to dive in there until uh, later in the season. That was probably about this time of year. I ended up going in there um, and set up probably 100 yards from where I thought the main bedding area was and was able to observe like some uh, taller or some shorter brush than the actual bedding area and um, just wanted to kind of observe for the night before Keith got there. And of course, I ended up seeing two really big bucks and almost got a shot at one of them that night. But I had, there was one like specific gap in this brush that they were going through. Um, both of those bucks went straight through that, that gap and almost had the second one that came through. He was following a doe and then she ended up just going out just out of range. Like they were probably 40, 45 yards from me, just as light faded. And I don't know if the wind swirled on me briefly or um, he just, caught caught me moving up in the tree or something like that but he hung up and froze there for probably 10 to 15 minutes until it was completely out of light and then eased off but the next day keith and i went back into that same bedding area and um tried to just still hunt our way through it and the wind was pretty finicky all day like there the matter it was kind of set up there was like one main draw and the bedding area was on the west facing slope of that draw and we were trying to like just still hunt um it would have been a crosswind so it, would have, it was an easterly wind which would have set up well for them to be bedded there but no matter which side of that ditch we tried to go down the wind like was always blowing towards that bedding area we tried to approach it from the north and it was blown into the bedding area we looped all the way around tried to come back at it from the south same thing it was just sucking right back up into that bedding area which was kind of odd seeing the wind act like that like Matt, you'd think it would be consistent down that draw but it makes sense why they're betting there because no matter where you came from the wind was just going right back up into there but we ended up looping back around and coming in from the north and by that point the day winds picked up a little bit and it was a, a little more consistent but still not a great wind and we just were easing into that bedding area and making setups every 50 to 75 yards or so and rattling and trying to call one out of there um and then eventually had two hunters come by us uh, with tree stands on their back and just went straight into the middle of the bedding area and tried like waving at them, getting to come over and talk to us. But they just like kind of acknowledged us and continued on, didn't have a conversation, which frustrated me a little bit because like I don't obviously it's public land, like you have every right to go in there. But when you, when you see another hunter, it's probably a good idea to go talk to him and figure out what everybody's doing so you don't step on each other's toes. But we uh, got a little more aggressive after that and kind of pushed through that bedding area. And sure enough, found multiple fresh, fresh, multiple fresh beds, um, green rubs. Like they were definitely in there. But at that point, after we got aggressive in there and those other guys came through, they had vacated that bedding area. And we tried to bounce around the property and the pressure was just super high. So we decided to make an audible and go to a place that um, we had hunted in previous years uh, just to try to get away from the pressure. Um, and sure enough that the place we went to had far less people at it. Um, spent that first evening there driving around and saw some small bucks and does and um, 
a lot of the area was flooded. So we just spent the next day kind of going into some areas where there wasn't as much water in. And again, found some young deer, um, some decent sign, but nothing that really jumped off the page at us. Um, and then that evening dove into a spot, which was quite a hike to get in there. I think it was like two miles from the truck that we had walk in and all of a sudden just found an explosion of sign like nothing like i've ever seen before there was so many scrapes like it probably 20 to 30 scrapes rubs everywhere and super fresh sign so called that we made a ground setup didn't see anything that evening and then went back in there the next morning for a setup and uh this this hunt is on the channel too it's like posted around middle november last year and uh made a setup right around this, that concentration of sign. There was two rivers that kind of pinched down and there was probably 75 yard wide gap between like a smaller river and a bigger river and a really thick patch of cover. And that's where a majority of those scrapes were. And we had built a little ground blind the night before. So I had a perfect ground setup. And about an hour after light, um, Keith, Keith tells me, oh, it's a buck coming. <laughs> for some reason i didn't believe him i was like you serious and sure enough there's this buck coming straight at us and um when i first saw him i was like oh yeah that's a shooter for sure and then he starts getting closer and closer and at this point he's probably like 45 50 yards and i told keith i was like i i, I don't think i'm gonna shoot him so then we went through the little rodeo trying to pass the camera back and forth. He had his boat with him, too. And Keith goes, um, I'll shoot had, Yeah, I will shoot that deer. Yeah. So we, we scrambled to, to switch cameraman and shooter. And my my expectations that year were much higher than they probably should have been. Because <laughs> <laughs> if, if that buck had walked by me this year, I definitely would have shot him. But oh, the, yeah. the year before, I had shot a pretty nice buck in Missouri, and I, I was holding out for a real big one. And a couple of days before seeing those two giants, I was kind of set on killing a really big one. Mm -hmm. But the buck ends up coming by just perfect, like 10 yards, stop broadside. And Keith was behind me to my back left shoulder, and he had to try to draw real awkwardly and ended up uh, spooking that buck when he got drawn. And it would have had to, like, shoot over my left shoulder, which is <laughs> all sorts of messed up. But ended up spooking that buck and sat there for another three hours or so and about midday um decided to just push further into this this bottom which was a lot of like big cottonwoods and open bottom with these thick pockets kind of scattered throughout them mm -hmm. so did a similar thing to what we did a couple of days before where we we're just kind of easing in close to those thicker pockets and then making calling setups and we weren't like running into nearly as much sign as we were in that little pinch point um, but here and there we'd find some, some fresh scrapes and rubs. So we're just trying to pull one out of one of those thick patches of cover and about hour and a half of daylight left, Keith ends up spotting a buck pushed up right against this little, the, the smaller slew that was behind us in that original setup. We were getting pretty close back to that same point we were in the morning. And there's a, a smaller slew with probably like a 10 yard buffer of really thick cover and um, Keith got eyes on on a buck moving through there and kind of just set up at the m nearest available cover, which wasn't very much cover, like some smaller trees and some branches, but not great cover. And just giant 10 pointers pushed this smaller buck off. And um, that smaller buck ended up looping around us and got downwind of us and just lightly spooked off. 
but then that bigger buck just eased back into that 10 yard buffer of cover up against that slough and assuming that it was around that time of year where the, they've got does locked down and they push them up against some type of of edge or some strange strange terrain piece or um areas that you typically wouldn't find bucks but that time of year it just seems like they try to separate them from other deer and push them up towards places that um they're going to be isolated so he kind of went into that thick patch and we crawled up within i would probably got 25 30 yards from where we last saw him go in um and got a, a decent hide um but made a couple calling sequences throughout the night and never never saw him come out of there again um but on the way out we did see another either either it was the same buck um which he was probably like three quarters of a mile from where we last saw him or another really big buck i think i think it was the same buck that ended up pushing that doe across that slough and then was working off into a, a bigger patch of ground but um yeah it was just a couple really close calls that day where we weren't quite able to, to get it done over the, the those three days stretch i mean saw numerous really big bucks um but just couldn't quite close the deal but it was it was a couple really interesting things just finding that much sign in a concentrated area was a really really interesting experience and then getting getting that close is my most memorable hunts from last year, besides those ones with, with Jake that we had in Iowa, those, yeah. those stand out, but. So what, I guess, what are your biggest like takeaways? I mean, I know you mentioned the sign, but like maybe elaborate on that a little bit more. Um, and like what that meant to you guys in that moment and, and just, I guess, expanding on that just a little bit, because I think that that's something that we could all hear more, you know, uh, experiences about and just like more of that like okay this is what i saw this is what we ended up seeing like animal wise because of it i guess this is the sign we saw this is the animals that we saw yeah i mean we had found like smaller little pockets of sign um but when we came across that spot it was just one that just jumped out in your face where anyone would see that and just go there's multiple bucks in here i think that was probably one of the main reasons i ended up passing that smaller buck initially because with the amount of sign that was in there i i knew there had to be more bucks and more like more than likely a, a much bigger one than that in there so i think that was that was my biggest takeaway was like believing that because of that amount of sign there was more bucks in there and a bigger one and then kind of sticking to that and making that decision to pass it um, and then ended up seeing that bigger buck. But I think a lot of that sign was created like a week prior to, to when we got in there mm -hmm. um, and around the time where they weren't locked down with does. And then after when we were there, they were pushing them towards those more isolated areas away from that more obvious funnel to get them away from deer. Because if if he would have had a doe locked down in that thick patch right by that, that pinch point, there's going to be numerous deer that are going past there. And he's going to have to, to challenge them for for that doe where he took that doe and, and moved her away from where that concentration of sign is so mm -hmm. i think like around that middle november time of year like look for those really strong pockets of sign and then maybe try to look at a map or scout your way in further and try to say like okay there's a lot of deer concentrated around this specific area where are those like off the wall spots that they can take a doe to just kind of separate them from the rest of the deer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that that's always been 
something that when I look back and think of like the very best spots, there's always that high concentration of sign that you start, like that's your starting point. And then once you find that, you just kind of hang loose and start being a little bit more patient. And I think that it's so hard to explain it because you say that it's like, you say it's like anybody would, would be like, whoa, that's worth noting. But in the moment, you'll battle yourself, especially if it's a place that you've hunted a lot. And this is something that we kind of talked about on the last segment with Ben and Keith is like, if you've hunted there, you have these like preconceived ideas of what's supposed to happen or where the good spot is. And here's an example of a, a rut mistake that I think I made a couple of years ago with, with Roy. So I was hunting um, an area that I had been hunting. You've hunted in there before. Um, but I was, I was in, in my head, I had, uh, this idea that we were going to go to a specific spot where we had rattled that buck in and not got him the year before. You remember that hunt? Keith was actually just kind of making fun of me for bringing mm-hmm. that up so often. And here I am doing it again in the same recording, <laughs> but, uh, we were, we were going to that spot. Like we were dead, you know, looking back on it, two dead set on that. And on the way in, we were trying to loop, you know, kind of make a big loop end where we wouldn't disturb that much and, you know, thought we were avoiding potential bedding areas. And what ended up happening is, is we got into this very tight uh, funnel where several ridges came together. And up above it, there was two big bowls. So in this type of hill country, when I, when I say a bowl, there's always kind of a bowl and then there's a, a point, a finger ridge. And then in between that and the next finger ridge, there's another bowl. So there's two bowls and two finger ridges off the main ridge. And at the base of that, there was this giant scrape, man, like one that just, mm, it bothers me that I just ignored it because it was huge. And the whole walk in, we hadn't hardly seen a lick of fresh sign. Then all of a sudden there's this huge scrape. It's completely stamped out. And I remember how big the track was in it. And it was like, hmm, that's like this morning, that's fresh, that's, that's uh, you know, worth paying attention to. And we sat there and we contemplated, and it's like, man, if a guy was going to set up on this, it would be really hard with today's wind. I don't, I don't just say you can never hunt bottoms, I would never say that, but with these conditions, it wasn't going to work. It was really windy, and it was just swirling down in there. And uh, we ended up kind of just hemming and hawing doing that thing where when you know you're hunt, not when you're not hunting well you know which is what was happening we weren't seeing much and we were just in our own heads way too much not going with our instinct as much as we should have been so we decided to pass it and on the way of passing it we pop up on that first bench in the bowl so we've got a finger here a finger here and to our right on the other side of the finger is another bowl and uh scrapes just right here below us i mean 75 yards down the hill and i look up and there's a spike bedded under a a deadfall and he was being weird like i think he saw us and he never ran and until i started sneaking up to him just like stalking him for you know fun practice i think that uh you know he was kind of being weird i guess like why is he letting us get away with this well end up going to the spot setting up seeing a doe that night I sit here and I think about that hunt every single, I bet I think about it once a month. Why did we not stop? And why did we not use that little buck as a cue? You know, that little buck was being weird. He's probably being weird because my guess is 
that bigger buck that left that scrape is somewhere in the vicinity, maybe just you know, over that next finger in the next bowl over laying with that doe. And had we just came in on a side hill with a different approach and, you know, with more experience a couple of years later too, in that type of terrain and everything, I think I would play it differently now. But the big lesson there is like, don't pass up that sign. Cause you may sit here and think about it once a month for the rest of your life. You know what I mean? It's just, a, the, it was just one where yeah. that, that track was not a little buck track. The way that scrape was hit was not a little buck scrape. It wasn't that spike, you know, and it wasn't probably even one that's a year or two yeah. older than him. It was probably a, a super dandy. And I just, I think about that one a lot. <laughs> and it's like, sometimes you get in your head in the rut and you get to tiptoeing and you start thinking, well, this was good one time. And just because it was good one time doesn't mean it's going to be good this time. And and I think that that was a, a mistake yeah. I made that season and really ultimately tiptoed for, you know, a whole seven day hunt, hunting trip and, it didn't produce and, and, and really just ended up with a kind of a fr- rather frustrating season there. Um, but Hey, that's, that's how you learn. I just think, I guess the reason I bring that up is because on the other hand, if you trust it, like what you and Keith did, you end up bumping into the buck. And I just think that, that there's good learning points in, on both ends of it. Yeah. And we sat like, we, we knew there could be a chance that one would come through where all that fresh sign was, which is why we like gave it an evening and a morning in that spot. And then when we only saw a younger buck, that's when we decided to push in further. Mm-hmm. But I also, like I have the same tendencies where I lean on things that happened in past years and like go back to those same areas, which can be good and bad as long as you take it with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. Like there's that, that one spot in Missouri that I killed um, two bucks in a row, like year after year, but both, both years, like when I went back to that spot the second year, the sign was exactly the same as what it was that those that previous year when I ended up killing one there. Yep. So yep. when I went back and saw like this is exactly what I saw last year, then I was more confident to to stay there. So I like to I like to take mental notes when I find good spots and see what sign looks like around that time. And then if I go back in there mm-hmm. and if sign looks exactly the same, then I'm super confident that it's gonna be just as fruitful as the year before. But if it's not looking the same as what it was before, then I know to move on for it. So I definitely like to go to those areas first and like check, check them. But if, if the sign doesn't look like what it does when I had success there, then move on from it. So, yeah, that's a good, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. People will say like, don't take things that happen in, in years past and like keep going back to the spots. Well, yeah. I mean, if, if it's not looking the same as what it did that year, then yeah, move on. But if, if you had success in an area and the sign looks exactly the same and it's just as fresh, like, yes, feel free to <laughs> give it yeah. a, a couple of days to, to try it out. Cause if there's a good chance that it's going to be just about the same. Yep. Yeah. And, and, the, and by people, you mean me. <laughs> like yeah. I am yeah. one of those guys that said, like, I mean, I do have a tendency to, try to avoid the same areas. I think, I think there's good and bad in that. Here, here's, here's, I guess a deeper look into that real quick. If you got the time for it, I think that, um, Oh yeah. I like, I like to bounce to new areas, even within, you know, a piece of public or a County or a state or whatever. I like to go to different areas because ultimately I feel like I learn more from that, but I do a lot of bouncing, 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 but you'll see tendencies. If you, if you really dive into like the, the, the little series of hunts that happen in a lot of, a lot of 
seasons. What you'll see most of the time is I'll be bouncing, I'll be here, I'll be there, I'll be there, I'll be there. And then all of a sudden it's just like hyper-focused on one spot for like three days and then boom, something happens. And that's almost always how these hunts end up going. But one of the things that I do on purpose is, and I really did this when I was living in, in Iowa where I had like a home base and like had the same pieces of public to hunt year in and year out because I don't really have that right now. Um, and I may never honestly have that again. But one thing that I try to, tried to do and will continue to try to do is if I shoot a buck in an area, I give it at least one season where the next season I don't go back to that at all. Mostly just because I want to force myself into a new experience. And on the other hand, I think it's really cool that you've killed two bucks in the same spot. Like that's sweet. That's an experience that I don't have. And that's, and I won't have if I keep doing what I'm doing, but to your point, it's like, absolutely. If there's fresh sign in a spot, it doesn't matter if, you know, like hunted again, I guess is what I'm getting at. And it's, it is really fun yeah, t- to go into areas and be like, Ooh, it, cause there, I guess there are some places like, for example, we've, we've had success back to back years in, uh, areas when we've done the muzzleloader drives. Now granted, this is not rut talk, but this is the mm-hmm. same. <laughs> it's not rut talk, but we end up seeing a lot of rut sign that time of the year. And I feel like back to back years, it was kind of like, Ooh, it looks pretty dang good in here. And therefore, you know, the, the, the sign matched the success. So that is an experience I've had doing that. But otherwise, bow hunting, I feel like uh, it's not to say that it's not worth it. I just try to force myself into new situations. That way I can really, I'm trying, <laughs> it's, it's kind of torture at times, but it's kind of like I force myself into <laughs> these uncomfortable, like, you know, pull my hair out situations. That way I can just feel like I improved even if I fail at the end of it all if I'm pulling my hair out and like racking my brain for new ideas I feel like I learned something out of it versus just like kind of be in and and, and and here's one other thing when I used to hunt that property of my grandpa's I, I guess this isn't something I just have done my whole life when I hunted my grandpa's, man, I did the same mm-hmm. thing over and over and over again. I mean, there's classic stands that, you know, would still be the best spots there in a lot of situations, but I never switched it up. And then I got almost where I burnt myself out on hunting, bow hunting completely. I mean, at one point I was like, man, mm-hmm. I think I maybe ought to start just doing more fall fishing because at the time I liked fishing a lot. And I'd had an honest conversation with Ben one season, uh, it was November. I remember this specifically. It was November 13th. And we talked about actually quitting bow hunting and starting to fish more in the summer because we were so like, you know, burnt out on doing the same old, same old, you know? So anyway, yeah. anyway, sorry, I got to maybe <laughs> ramble in there a little bit, but <laughs> uh, I guess with that, any final thoughts on the rut? When are you getting back out, boy? I don't know. I'm going to be pretty busy here at the warehouse probably through most of November, but might be able to slip away and do some hunting with Allie either around home here or do some weekend trips. But, yeah, I don't have anything else planned on the books as of the moment. So Has Allie been out bow hunting at all? Not yet this year, no. Yeah, that'll be so fun. So we might go next weekend i think is we're planning on going somewhere probably in wisconsin so sweet looking forward to that we've hunted together 
once uh twice once once uh her bow hunting and then once me gun hunting so we'll get get out and bow hunt this next week and then uh thanksgiving weekend we'll be going up to northern wisconsin with my family and doing some gun hunting up there so well, by, looking forward to that by golly hayden if you go with her film her oh i will she's <laughs> she's definitely more uh willing to be on on camera as of late like we did that turkey hunt and had to do like some secret filming of her to get her her natural personality to come out and after uh I would show her some of the clips and stuff like that. And she goes, wow, I'm, I'm actually kind of funny. <laughs> like, yeah, I've been telling you, you're pretty funny. You just got to be yourself. Yes. So she's more willing to be on camera now. That's great. <laughs> if, if you guys are listening to this or watching this and, and, uh, you want to go back and watch truthfully, one of my favorite things that I did all spring was edit, uh, Hayden and Allie's turkey hunt together. It was Allie's first turkey. And yep. it's, probably one of my favorite videos that I've produced. It was just fun, um, fun use of character and, and just, a, just a genuine, like, like you watch it and you feel good afterwards. It's, it's a, yeah. a it's an awesome, I mean, I, I'm saying, I feel like I'm tooting my own horn, but it's because of the characters. Like that's, that's what made it so good. So check that out. I, I really highly recommend it. It's a great video and crazy action too on top of that. Yeah. So it's worth it. It was an insane hunt. <laughs> yeah. All right, everyone. Well, appreciate you tuning in. And Hayden, thanks for your time. And uh, yeah, I guess anything to plug from the warehouse there? Yeah, I mean, just check out thehuntingpublic.com. We've got a lot of stuff this year. It's been, I'd say it's our, our most complete collection of stuff. We just dropped like brand new merch with Ryan Kirby. Um, so we got t-shirts and hoodies there. Um, and I think I speak for everybody saying like, yeah, that Ryan Kirby merch is like the, the coolest designs we've come out with. And then we got a bunch of cool new hats that we dropped um, and then tons of camo and just pretty much everything you can need. But yeah, supporting us on with merchandise is the best way to support the channel. Keeps everything going on the deer tour. So mm -hmm. and, and keeps, keeps us doing keeps this. Keeps me having a job. Yeah. yeah keeps us <laughs> yeah. doing this. <laughs> yes. So yeah, just, just check that out. Um, we've got like, you can use any of the guys codes, Hayden, Zach, whatever, and it'll save you 10%. Um, yeah. Um, I guess we also have, uh, a fundraiser that we're doing starting the ninth with boot campaign. Uh, they're an organization that raises funds for uh, veterans um, in a, a whole different bunch of areas. And they're a great company. Um, they're independently audited where you know everything that you're giving to them is going to, towards a really great cause. Um, they have uh, boots that they sell where I believe like 90 some percent of the boots uh, that transaction cost goes straight towards um, campaigns for supporting veterans so during the 9th through the 15th we're going to be donating 10 percent of all our sales to uh that campaign you can check them out as well and and give a donation but check those guys out and have uh some of the money you spend on on merch go towards a good cause too yeah, that's awesome yeah great 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 plug all right hayden thanks for your time thanks for your efforts thank crystal and scout over there as well and uh yeah we'll talk soon scout, thanks. come here come here scout. Scout. All right, everybody, thanks for listening. <laughs> See ya.